Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13, episode unlucky 13 of the Go Gorilla film cast, A Baker's Dozen. I'm one of your hosts, Paul Robinson. And I am another one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. And in case you're wondering why I didn't do the intro this episode, it's because I had a feverish case of the giggles. Yep, I got pulled <laughs> off the bench. <laughs> it's... It's not quite done, but yeah, um, I could not pull it together <laughs> to, to do that. So I'll be back shortly. Shortly on so, the next episode. Yes. So in this episode, we have a, an, an interview with Christina Raya. 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 The first couple minutes of it, there was some audio issues. So just bear through that, and then it gets yeah. cleaned up There's pretty quickly. Some so. seriously interesting and scandalous, scandalous <laughs> information mm-hmm. on uh, mm-hmm. film fests and practices and the likes yeah it doesn't last very long but we kind of worked everything out she i think lives near an airport right so there was a whole lot of taken off yes (laughs) and then we we cleaned everything up so take it away future us we are here today with christina rea christina tell us what you do (laughs) first of all thank you so much for being on yeah that too uh And um, I want—I know that you work with Film Fest and you do, you know, you're like a filmmaker, a producer, you do everything pretty much. Um, and I want to get into all that. But yeah, first, uh, let us know who you are. Sure. Um, thanks so much for having me. It, it is a complicated question to answer, I suppose, <laughs> because I do wear a lot of hats. Primarily, I'm a filmmaker. I, I love writing and directing and I run a production company called Congested Cat Productions. And so it's mostly my own work, but I also collaborate with two other filmmakers. Um, and so we kind of roll out sh- shorts pretty regularly every year. And I'm on the circuit right now with my second feature film. And we also run a screening series called Indie Works, where we screen short films by other filmmakers in New York as a way to kind of create space to find collaborators and discuss work since you don't really get that once you're out of school. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also the head of education at Seed and Spark, which is a crowdfunding and streaming platform exclusively for film. And part of my job with that is to teach at film festivals across the country, you know, how to run successful campaigns, how to build a career through crowdfunding and audience building and social media and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, want, I really want to get into that scene and spark thing because a lot of people, especially on our level, really... I think rely a lot on crowdfunding. So it's a, it'll yeah. be educational to know exactly what resources are out there and anything that you might have to help them out. And I kind of been following you in a non... In a non-creepy way. In a non-creepy way. And uh, we were actually supposed to do like one of your weekly... Yeah, Indie Works. Yeah, yeah. Indie Works. Uh, and we couldn't make it because of my stupid job. Which I really enjoyed that <laughs> Oh, thank you. Where in the process have you kind of decided, like, I want to be, I want to make films, I want to tell stories? Like, I didn't realize, realize I wanted to be a filmmaker until I was in my 20s. But where in the process for you in your life were you like, I want to tell stories and I want to make films? So, you know, movies were always there for me. I, I loved watching movies as a child. I grew up with a single mom and I had an older brother, so my brother would kind of expose me to films I wasn't necessarily allowed to watch yet. That's partly how I discovered horror films, and I love horror movies, mm-hmm. and why I wanted to make them eventually but I was also like a writer I would write stories when I was very young I 
couldn't, I could barely really <laughs> write full sentences when I was writing <laughs> stories. I didn't know what went into making a film. I didn't know, no one in my life was connected to film. You know, my mom's an immigrant from Trinidad. Like she worked multiple jobs. So we didn't have, I came from humble means. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of this other world, but it was magical. And I, and I, I loved how you could kind of lose yourself in a movie and in someone else's story. And so that was always there growing up. I, I, at a certain point, would tell people I wanted to make movies when I grew up, and I didn't really know what that meant. But I had family members who were kind of like, well, you know, you need to go into something practical, and, like, that's not a real thing, and you need to study and, you know, get a degree in psychology, because that was, like, something else that interested me, which I guess leads into why, like, dissecting people through film. Yeah, Yeah, that's a, a pretty common theme for writers, I think, especially. Right, and so for quite a while, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, I'll make films as a hobby, but I'll study psychology. It was around high school where I, I started to really pay attention to representation and kind of how I wasn't seeing myself on screen as a kind of like mixed multi-ethnic person and I wasn't seeing my mom's story on screen at all and I, I wasn't seeing a lot of representation and that it really it really matters like seeing yourself matters and storytelling matters because you can influence change um, you can make people think outside themselves in their own boxes and so I decided that you know I was just I was going to do it I was going to study film and I was going to be a filmmaker um, and, and I'm lucky to have had the mom that I had because she really supported me in doing whatever I wanted to do, really, because I think her idea was that she worked so hard in order to create possibilities for me and my brother. Right. I think it was when I started to study in school, I started to realize like how much bias exists in the industry and how, how much the odds are very much against me as a woman and a minority and just how it's like not the most equal system out there mm-hmm. industry. To say the um, least, I, yeah, seriously. But that that kind of gave me fire in a way, like... The fact that I had to figure out how to do it for myself while surrounded by, you know, people who had like uncles that could write them checks or, you know, had they were born into it by a certain degrees, you know, amount of degrees away. That like gave me a sort of fuel to be like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get there and I'm going to do it with my own like will and skill. Uh, and so there's just never been anything else for me, I guess, really, <laughs> it, it is a very hard um, industry. It requires so much of your time and energy and definitely money. Um, and so I often think, like, is there anything else that I could see myself doing that would make me happy? And the answer is always no. And so I keep going. And, and that's really, it's just always kind of been there for me. Nice. I mean, yeah, that's um, kind of the same story with, with us. I know Sashia, who writes everything for us. You know, a lot of her writing is derived from not seeing herself represented on screen. And so, yeah. you know, she's an actress, obviously, and a writer. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't want to speak too much for you, but uh, <laughs> go ahead. Finish my well, sentence. No, I mean, it's just it's just interesting to, you know, to hear also, because I kind of had the I, the opposite end of it where I'm Hispanic, but I look Caucasian, you know. And so amongst other Hispanics, it was kind of like. Why do you like the things that you like? Because they were different. It, you know, it's it's just being able to get everybody to get off of the the ideal that because you're from a certain background that you should or shouldn't like certain things. I mean, you know, art and your uh, your interest in in music or film is is individual. Um, so I can I can I can totally see, especially when you have parents. I mean, my my, my parents were born here, but um, you know, I I know 
how difficult it is for uh, people with um, parents who are immigrants because there's there's this ideal that you have to work so much harder, you know. So you want they they always wanted their children to be doctors or lawyers and you know feel like the this this the sacrifice was made for for something big, um, you know. And that can sometimes I had friends where that was tough because if it was artistic. It wasn't always appreciated because it, you know, it was like, how are you going to survive off of that? So that, you know, having a, you know, a parent support that is great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My mom's amazing. She's incredibly supportive. Uh-huh. And it's lovely because I, I take her to film festivals with me sometimes. And so she sort of gets to see the world that I exist in. Uh-huh. But I definitely have put pressure on myself to like be sort of financially stable so that she doesn't have to worry because, you know, um, that was definitely a concern. I think it is for anyone who goes into the arts or is pursuing anything that's creative. And, and yeah, especially if you have immigrant parents, they absolutely <laughs> worry about having financial stability. So I wanted to talk a little bit about film fest because I know you've been in a lot of film festivals. So what do you feel like, what do you look for for your festival? And then also when you are making a film, do you keep that in mind or are you just making the film? Right. I mean, I guess... For me, I always just try to tell the best version of that story that I can. And it's rare for me to make a long short. My shorts tend to be on the shorter side. If I felt like it were better longer, I would definitely consider what I submitted to. Not necessarily, I wouldn't change the film to suit festivals, but I maybe wouldn't submit it to festivals Mm -hmm. or I wouldn't submit to most festivals because I do know both on the programming side with IndieWorks that it's like very hard to program something that's 20 minutes because you can, you're you sacrificing potentially like three other films mm-hmm. for that slot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that it's very hard. And we are, you know, New York exclusive. Like you have to be in the New York or very immediate surrounding area in order to screen at IndieWorks. So we get, you know, like 300 submissions a year versus your average festival that's probably getting like at least 2,000, um, if not way more. And so I do, I guess I think about my, the length of any film that I've made and what it's suited for, I, I definitely look at what their caps are. Um, I had I made a three minute film and that was like my most programmed short because it was just very easy to program, oh, okay. I think. But I also, you know, I think most festivals are not worth the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I'm personally, I try to be very transparent with other filmmakers because I think that there are a lot of scams out there with festivals and a lot of filmmakers are afraid to call out festivals when they don't, you know, where they aren't doing what they promised or when they aren't delivering. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do, I like, I do recaps of every festival that I attend and I kind of say whether or not I would submit to it again or whether or not I would attend again. And generally at this point, having made as many shorts as I have, I usually, target the same festivals over and over again, the ones that I enjoyed being part of. And for me, it's not like industry. You know, I I know that the top tier festivals are basically all invitationals. They're not programming from their paid submissions for the most part. So I don't really bother submitting to them. Um, I submit to ones where I felt like they had a real audience. So it wasn't just, you know, the filmmakers whose films were screening in that block, but there were actual locals that came out to see films. So I was able to build an audience through that experience. And festivals where I found value from, you know, the sort of community that was created through the festival, whether that was like networking events with other filmmakers or panels that I found really informative or um, just like the people who run it. I just found to be really lovely people. 
those are the ones I return to again and again, because I find value in it. And I'm able to, at the very least, like come out of it with a bigger email list Mm -hmm. than when I went in, um, which is really huge in like crowdfunding and just sort of building momentum for your work. Um, so that's like, that's how I think about festivals. And then it's like genre. I do a lot of genre films. So there's, you know, seven genre festivals that I probably submit to every year with my latest horror film or, you know, genre film. Um, but then sometimes I, I will do like more of a straight comedy and then I can't target some of my favorite festivals. So then I kind of venture out, but I do a lot of research. I, I research to see what else they've programmed, how many of their films seem to be like truly no name, no connection titles. I ask other filmmakers how they got in, if they really paid the submission fee or if they had some sort of like invitational or if they reached out for a waiver. And I ask them what they thought of the experience, if they got value out of it outside of like what I think traditionally people think they're going to get some sort of connections to the industry. And that really doesn't exist at most festivals or like investors don't really go to festivals. That's been my experience. Like there aren't just like people there in the audience with money. Right. So right. really, so really what you're trying to do is like find the people who care about film and, and storytelling and care about maybe the particular genre you're working in and who will at the very least pay like 20 bucks to see a film because they paid for that block that they're at. And so that sort of is good for future crowdfunding because these are people that see value in funding films. Right. So there's a the huge like networking aspect of Film Fest versus anything else, really. I mean, it's great to see yeah. your film with, you know, people and you can see the reactions, obviously. But, you know, Absolutely. one of the things that we struggle with, which I was happy to have you on about, is we, we kind of struggle with that because once we finish a film, we're ready for the next one. And we just want to jump right into the next one because we get excited about a new project and a new idea. And I think with the film that we just shot, The Gaffer, we're kind of going to try to take a little bit of time. We've submitted to a bunch of festivals, didn't do nearly as much research as you did. Uh, (laughs) We just try to find as many good ones that we could actually make it to. You know, we just kind of want to spend a little time with it and do, like you said, go out there and network with people and, and try to like build up a community of people that we, you know, we follow their work, they follow our work. I love the sense of community. And I feel like, and I've said this before, and I hate to rant about it, but I just feel like there's just, there's like this inherent air of like... Like, like pretentiousness. Do you know what I mean? Like in the film in in, in filmmaking. And that's not everybody, obviously, every I'm sure every industry has has that sort of thing. But I I don't know. I just I hate that, you know, and I just love the sense of community and which is ironic because we never we never network because we're horrible. Well, I think something that you said was really interesting that I didn't really know about was that. So you're saying that some filmmakers will actually reach out for vouchers so that they don't actually have yeah. to pay for the fest cuz that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- so there's a lot there's just a lot of there's a lack of transparency in that world completely. Like at IndieWorks we don't offer waivers it's just sort of a blanket rule but I know that a lot a lot of festivals um, do or they say that they don't but then they do if you email them and you have like something that impresses them. It's really it's it's really unfortunate because I find that a lot of festivals are inviting films or offering waivers to people that like came out of their labs or were impressive to them in some other way. And then how they're sort of funding the accommodations for those filmmakers hmm. is through the paid submissions that they're not ever going to consider. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's very shady. Um, and, and I like, I, so I try to tell filmmakers when, if I was ever offered a waiver, I will tell filmmaker, like, I I didn't pay a submission fee for that festival, so you should reach out because they obviously give out waivers. Or um, 
if I got invited, I'm very transparent about that. I've never really, I can't think of like a real invite. I've been invited to submit. I've definitely been offered waivers like here and there. But for the most part, I, I try to just like go by the book and go through Film Freeway and, you know, do everything. But I think that you can spend a lot of money that way and you can waste a lot of money that mm-hmm. way if you aren't paying attention to what's actually getting programmed at each individual festival, because a lot of the time it is like, they're not even ever going to watch your film. And it's a huge pet peeve of mine. And, and I do try to tell other filmmakers when I've experienced a festival, not watching my film after I paid a submission fee. Um, and so that's like a whole world I, festivals. I'm, I've learned a lot in the past year, year and a half um, of working with festivals because of my you know job at Seed and Spark and also just from making a lot of mistakes with my own films and submitting and sort of not, there's sort of the like the stuff that they tell you you should do, like making sure that the kinds of films they program are what you've made. But then there's also the research of like the shady stuff that you only get by talking to other filmmakers because they don't all, they don't all want to say things publicly about like bad experiences they've had and stuff like that. And so it's, it's very, it's very messy. Um, And so I kind of, I love festivals for what they what they can be and what they often are with the good ones. And I and I think the people who run many, maybe even most, are usually well intentioned and and lovely. Um, but I also feel like they are a reflection of the industry that is all about buzz and acclaim and names yeah. and having connections. And so at the end of the day, a lot of, you know, what gets programmed and, and what is getting, you know, winning awards and all that, a lot of it, especially at the top fest, you know, not at the smaller ones that are maybe more community focused, but at the top ones, those are all just sort of people that already have an in. Right. In some way. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because that, you know, and I'm sure you, perhaps you've gotten this as well as people who are out of the business that find out that we're filmmakers or whatever. The first thing out of their mouth is always like, oh, maybe one day you'll be at Cannes or did you, did you submit right. to Tribeca? And I'm like, they are never going to watch our film. I'm not even going to attempt to submit right. to Tribeca or to Cannes because the, that's not our level. You know, these are people that are already right. established. It's its own world. And you don't make it in there by being two schmucks from upstate New York on a thousand dollar budget. Like that's not what's going to get in there. You got to know somebody. And, you know, as you said, there are some really good festivals out there, but that was sort of something that. I think that's why we never really took to networking. We kind of got turned off by so many festivals that you just kind of got that feeling, especially when you anybody who was who was running the fest, if they had a film in there that was kind of like my green light, like something mm-hmm. I, I kind of think about those people mm-hmm. a little extra because I'm like, all right, well, that's fine if you're a filmmaker and you're running a fest. We did that. But we certainly like we gave ourselves the crappiest spot. And because it wasn't right. about us, you know, it was about these other right. films. And we we actually didn't charge anybody. We were looking for films on yeah. Vimeo. We're like, hey, can we show your film at our film? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, of course, right. you know. So, um, you know, that's I, I realized that that running a film fest is expensive, you know, but we've talked about this before, how it's it's not it's not like something. And of course, you know, it takes months to plan these things, the bigger that they get. But people mm-hmm. want that to be their sole source for finances. And they want to live off of that film fest for the rest of the year. And that's not, you're not able to do that unless you're screwing over a whole buttload of people, you know, and and that's, that's what there seems to be a lot of. And I've always suspected that, you know, I I wonder if these people are even going to watch this film. Like, are they even going to watch this? Or, you know, now also seeing some, some places asking for upwards of $75 to submit your, a short. 
I know. And it's like, are yeah, you crazy? Right. You know, who? Ha- I mean, yeah. there's no way that you know if we're making a a, a short for a thousand dollars, and then one submission yeah. is costing seventy five dollars. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I I put a sort of cap on myself where I won't spend more than thirty percent of the the budget mm-hmm. on submissions with short and I make shorts usually for $500 or less. Right. Um, You're on our level. And so like, <laughs> right, right. And so I'm like, I, I, that forces me to be very, very selective about where I submit and, and really realistic. I think, you know, um, I, I, I totally think that you should have confidence and believe in what you've made. You should, have, you should know, you know, it's all relative. And so like know what's out there and, and be realistic about what you made. But I also, you know, I don't, I don't want to shame people for, you know, trying or being ambitious, but I think that there is, there's this attitude of like, you never know. So I'm going to spend this hundred dollars on one festival that, that is never going to watch right. it because like I might be that one. Right. And I think, I think that we need to sort of get out of that mentality and not validating the behavior of these festivals by just throwing our money at them. And part of that, part of what I try to do to counter that is like, talk about the good festivals, the ones that I really enjoyed that I got a lot out of and, um, and sort of plug those to my friends and shout out those festival directors. But it is sort of across the board, like I see bad behavior, even at the lower levels, there are a lot of New York City festivals that program their own films in competition and even like award their we've own We've heard films. of this. Yeah. yeah. We, we've heard of one in particular <laughs> that I won't name, but uh, we've heard an, an experience that a friend of ours yeah. had and we were just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, that yeah. apparently, like this guy gave himself the best uh, slot, and then the the award show was running over, and people started to leave because it was like he was going on and on with these speeches about, I guess, like himself and all this other uh-huh. stuff, and people started to leave. And uh-huh. I, I think he said something along the lines of, "Well, we know who the losers are," oh you know, God. and it's like. You know that's out there, but I can't even imagine sitting there submitting a film, paying all that, and having mm-hmm. you know having to deal with an ego like that. And you also said something that's really, really important. I think where you said, you know, I I always feel like uh, film fests are more about networking within the community, and I think there are some people that really do believe that there is a multimillionaire film cinephile that's just sitting in the audience waiting to find a film to fund. And that's, that may happen once in a while. Maybe there's somebody sitting there that had, you know, nothing to do that day or has a lot of money, but you know, it, it's really more about networking, finding other actors, other sound people or DPs or the, you know, because there, there isn't some pot of gold Mm -hmm. just sitting in the back row waiting to throw their money. Everybody wants that big break. Yeah. They don't want to work for it. Right. Or, or even like, you know, for one thing, if I really like the programming of a festival, then as a viewer, I want to go because I want to watch films. I, you know, I obviously love mm-hmm. films as a consumer of them. Um, and so you meet other filmmakers that maybe you'll be a fan of. Like I've made friends at festivals that I not only enjoy as human beings, but I also just really love their work. And so I'm always excited to see what they're going to put out. And I have had experiences of people in the audience, you know, there was a guy at Horrible Imaginings in um, 2016, my short film, Hello, screened, and I wasn't able to go. I did end up going the next year um, for my my next short, Night In, and I ended up loving the festival. It's one of my favorite genre festivals. But in 2016, some guy in the audience sent me an email saying that he loved the film, and um, we just sort of 
had a back and forth for a while. He was just a big fan of the film. And then when I was crowdfunding for About a Donkey, I reached out to him and he gave me 25 bucks. And like, nice. that's not some millionaire in the audience, but that like, you can replicate that with multiple people. Um, if, if it is a good festival that attracts fans, not just, you know, not just industry or like not industry, but other filmmakers, but actual locals. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I like festivals, at least outside of the big cities, because usually it's, it's the thing to do in that yeah. city yeah. or town, yep. you know? And so they actually show up as opposed mm-hmm. to like having a million other things to do in the city that, so they're not going to come to some random festival. Um, and so that's like, that's something I think about. It's like, oh, do they have a local turnout? Am I likely to meet people who, you know, are interested truly not just because they are filmmakers themselves and they want to network, but also because they want to watch stuff and sort of immerse themselves in the world of other people's content. Yeah. yeah. We were just talking about that recently, how we just love short films, you know, like, you know, features are great and everything. I don't know. I just feel like the art of the short film is just like in and of itself fun to watch. And I think they don't get enough credit for that. Absolutely. You know? To your point about transparency, if, if film fests were more transparent um, about the selection process, you know, if, if we didn't get into a festival, that's fine. You know, it didn't work or it's too long or it wasn't right. great enough, whatever the case, you know, if they were to, oops, sorry, I just hit their mic. Uh, <laughs> if they were to send, like, we got one of these back for this film. We did clapboard. We got a, a message back from the f- film fest saying, Hey, we didn't select your film and here's why. And that's fine. That's great. You know, you didn't select it and you had your reasons, but at least I know you watched it and you have an opinion mm-hmm. on it Yeah. versus like you said, you're just kind of like throwing these films out in the void and you don't know. You have no idea. There's no accountability. I don't know. Respond in some way. You have to write like like an essay about your film (laughs) to prove that they watched it. (laughs) No, because they would probably just have like a generic thing. (laughs) You know, like Mad Libs. Your film was bad. because. (laughs) Well, I will say that Vimeo, their stats have been like huge for me in determining whether or not a festival actually watched my submission. Um, And I I check the stats for all of my Mm -hmm. films like every other day and I check by region and, and it depends. Like if I'm submitting there, some festivals have screeners outside of the state that they're in. But if I'm like with my feature, I have multiple files that I'm sending to different festivals so that I can see whether or not it was watched. And so if I submitted to like multiple in New York, I'd be able to track because there are different files. Um, and so I have definitely experienced like calling out a festival and saying, you didn't watch my submission. Um, and they, they admitted it (laughs) because, because they had been caught. Um, I think, I think because now, because of the ability to track your data, like you can, at least know it more and you can, because of social media, there's the ability to call out festivals. I try not to call out festivals publicly unless they like don't respond to me or mm-hmm. they don't have any kind of, you know, they just ignore me. Um, but I think I'm hoping that we're moving into a more kind of transparent world in that regard, because there is the, the ability now, it's not like how it used to be where you had to send them a DVD mm-hmm, and like, right. that's it. You don't know. Now you can actually see based on your file, um, you can track the data and you can see on social media. You can cre- like, I'm part of a couple Facebook groups, private Facebook groups where people leave reviews of festivals and t- say whether or not they had a good or bad experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think that filmmakers are getting to the point where they're communicating more. Um, and they're really starting to question the value of festivals because the internet has created 
you know, they've sort of removed the gatekeeper quality of festivals. Yeah. And so now it's really like, why do you want to get into this festival? What is it actually going to do to you? Is that worth it? Yeah, that's and, and which is which is awesome. You know, we submit something, then we're off to the next thing. I, I, I can honestly say I don't really check the stats of the films on Vimeo, which I have really should, you know, I don't, you know, I didn't even think like that. And I think probably the reason why they get away with this because so many people don't, you know, they just kind of put this blind faith in, well, you're being honest. And I I guess they didn't like my film, but, Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine if you don't like the film, but you know, to, to charge people, this is, again, this is something that without the confirmation I've always suspected because you just kind of go to a couple film fest, you start to see the way it works and, um, we talked about this before in the show, so I won't bore people with it, but you know, there was a film fest that was run by someone that Paul had known and the first couple of years, quite humble, all about indie film. And then local one year, especially. yeah, local films. And then one year it just like, we went and it, there was a gala, there was wine and there was, and we were like, what happened? You know, what, what is this? And all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you've got like some actor from the Sopranos made a film and then every the whole film festival was about that film and it made everyone else just kind of feel like well what the hell are we doing here you know because this guy has connections and he's got money and that's great for him but you can't really lump everybody up in the same fest if that if that's what you're going to do and i love so, that that you are calling I, that i love that you are calling people cuz you know there's it's the, it's that whole thing of like you could say something by not saying it when you say well i talk up the film fest that i liked so if you don't right. see your name on that list, yeah. do the math. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to say it, yeah. but I'm saying it. And yeah. and that really needs that right. needs to be done. I <laughs> I thank you for or that. Even, oh, of course. I mean, I I know what it's like to be a filmmaker on the other side who sort of I had to learn by just doing and making mistakes and also wasting a lot of money. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I try to help out other filmmakers so they don't also have to waste money to get there. But I think something I look look at often and you can see it in myself, is like, okay, did this filmmaker screen at that festival more than once? Because I, you can look at festivals I screened at in 2015 or earlier, and if they don't repeat, you know, in the last three years, then I probably didn't like them very much. I didn't submit to them again. And so that's like something I look at too. If people aren't going to be as open as I try to be, I will also just look at their history because usually I find they, they like, if they liked you and they liked your film, then, you know, the ones with integrity are still going to put the, the film first, but they probably will like mark that you're an alum mm-hmm. because they liked mm-hmm. you. And so like, you're maybe a little more likely to get in. So I found that, you know, I don't usually get rejected from festivals that I've screened in before but that's also because, as I said, I, I'm very specific about what I submit to and I make sure that I'm a good fit. Each film is a good yeah. fit. Um, but that said, like, there are some festivals I'm in every single year with my latest project because I love it and they like me and my right. work. And plus you're always getting better, right? It's never, you know, chances are right. if you make a, one film and then the next year you make another one, it's not going to be worse. And it already was selected one year, so chances are very high that it would be selected again. That's true. I will, I will say I try to, because I make so many shorts, I try to kind of do something new that I've never yeah, done before too, with yeah. each short. Um, and so maybe it's not as successful as the the previous one, but I think like technically I get better. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's so different. Cause like my feature that I'm on the circuit with now is made on $20,000. And so it's, it's interesting because where my short that I'm going to be shooting next weekend is going to be like five minutes and I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on it. And so it's going to, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more polished than 
my feature mm-hmm. because that's a 75 minute right. <laughs> film. Yeah. And then you're, you're, per, you're per dollar, your dollar per minute, whatever right. it would be. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's the one um, uh, you but, had put you, yeah. something about a pool, right? You were like testing some kind of pool scene. Oh, so that was one that I produced. Oh. We shot it um, three weeks ago. That my friend Ryan wrote. Um, that's called Still Water. Oh, so yeah. I produced that. I saw that poster on your site. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this one is called The Gaze, Z E Gaze. <laughs> um, uh, and it's a horror film as well. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, you had that big uh was Summit a feature? You had, you had I know you were yes. pushing Summit for a while. Summit. I think that the that yes. film seemed to have done pretty well. Yeah, it was my first feature. Right. Um we crowdfunded that in two thousand twelve. Oh, that long ago? Uh, I've been stalking you that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a long road with that film. We shot it in twenty thirteen, in January of twenty thirteen. It was made on like fifteen grand um in massachusetts in the winter it was really insane um and we were in post for a year and a half because we were working with no money um and so like my sound editor worked on it around paying like a bigger paying gigs and, and it was also just there were a lot of flaws with our audio because it was like snow and like crunchy snow. And so there was a lot we needed to do with it. Um, so it really didn't hit the festival circuit until 2015 and it was on for, for that year. Um, and yeah, I, that was a, that was a learning experience for me because I, I didn't submit to like top tier festivals. I wasn't that unrealistic, (laughs) but I did, I did submit to like, um, top genre festivals, I guess. Mm -hmm. And everything that was, getting into those festivals had names and were made by like sort of the top indie production companies working in the genre. And they had, you know, budgets of $500,000 or more. And I'm in there with my $18,000 feature. Um, and yeah. And so like we screened, we had a, a decent run considering, and, um, it's a very flawed first feature, that I have a kind of love hate relationship with. <laughs> love hate with all of our films, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, right. But it is, you know, it's streaming, and like, I've made, I've made the budget back basically oh, through streaming revenue, which I think is, is, is really was kind of like a milestone for me because I think a lot of people who make far but like higher budgeted films, I guess real budget films, don't ever see their budget back or like anything right. really. So often distribution deals are not, you know, worth taking. And so me self-distributing the fact that I was able to pretty much recoup what I spent on it was, you know, a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think this speaks to a broader point of like the business side of it all. And I think a lot of filmmakers like us were pretty abhorrent with that stuff, you know, just putting on your business hat for a moment. Like you got to think I spent $20,000 on this film and certainly your goal isn't, your only goal isn't to make it back. You know, you, you never go into these things thinking like, if I don't make this back, I'm never making another film again. Yeah. You know, but uh, to be able to take a step back and think about it from a business perspective, like I have to, you know, outside of the creative of it all, obviously think about that. Um, so where does that yeah. film stream? Is it VHX? Was it, Did I see that right? Yeah, it- it's on VHX. It's on Vimeo on demand. It's also on Amazon Prime. Though, if you want to be the most supportive, <laughs> you could you could rent it on one of the other two, where I get ninety percent of the profit. Oh, nice. However, if you are you know struggling or you already have an Amazon Prime account, you can absolutely watch it on there. Um, just know that I have 
grown quite a bit. <laughs> that follows everything that we say. Like, look, yeah. I just want you to think about this for a second before you watch this. Well, I brought it up because I remember. We realized that, yeah. we made mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to bring up that one if that's a sore spot. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, not at all. Not well, no, at all. Like it's, it's important. Just, you know, yeah, it's yeah. important because it, it happens to Absolutely. the best of us, you know, and we're, we've, we're still doing that. We still, we, we, you plan the crap out of something and you make the film and one and one or 10 things goes wrong the day of or the, the week of or whatever. And then you're, you know, we're sitting with the footage and it's like, I so wish we could have shot this over or shot that over or, that there wasn't, you know, this constant humming noise in the background of the scene. But, you know, it's you still want to find stuff that you love, that 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 passion that you had when you started the story. You want to try to hang on to that so that you could say, all right, there's things I would have done differently, but no regrets. I, I learned mm-hmm. from this film. Yep. Right. I That's how I try to contextualize it, because, you know, I, I made that film right out of college. I was 22 when I wrote the screenplay and I had just turned 23 when we shot it. And I like it's very much a representation of sort of college me and like my writing Mm -hmm. then. And and I it was hard because it was in post for so long that by the time it was on the circuit, I had already made my web series, um, which is 10 episodes. And I had already Kelsey. Kelsey, yeah. yeah. And I had already and I'd made three shorts shot and finished three shorts since then. And so it was coming out like it was my latest work. Right. And. And it was like, but I, I learned so much from making it that I, that I wouldn't be the filmmaker that I am had I not made it, but it was like, I needed to contextualize it for everyone. So like I made this before yeah. I made the last. It's like, you, you feel like you have to have a precursor yeah. to it. We, we just did yeah. that when we, uh, you know, our, our last film Adams was at a couple of fests and it's like, I wanted to just be like, listen, we have another one that we made since then. And it's so much better. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you, you also said something that that um, I can definitely relate uh, to, which is that you said like the, the person that you were when you wrote something out of college is not, you you don't have the same views on life five or 10 or 15 years later. And that's kind of why I started. It's frustrating for me as an actor. um, And I started kind of just writing stuff and, and being in our own films because so many of the scripts were being written by film students, like right out of high school. And so they're, they're writing for parts that, only they understand, you know, that you don't find a lot of 20 or 21 year olds that are writing for a 37 or 40 or 45 year old woman, you know, cause that, that right. experience, that is so far away in their brain, you know, 45 at 21 is like a lifetime away. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a lot of like, okay, we need a, a day, you know, a day player between 18 to 24. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's athletic, the same 18 thing. To yeah, athletic, 18 to 24 is the same thing constantly. There's so much of that. And I think there's, you know, there's great, there's stuff that's great that's written by people that are younger, but it's just a kind of important thing as a filmmaker to understand that who you are at that point in your life. And my, my writing's changed in the past two years. Forget about, you know, like who I was in my twenties. Right. I'm now, you know, in my late thirties, it's a completely different person. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think even just, I'm, I got married a year and a half ago. And like I think about, <laughs> thank, thank you. But I think about sort of, how all I know how to write right now is couple. Yeah, like I, can't, yeah. I don't know. What, I don't know what it's like to be single, and so I'm trying to get into that headspace. It's like I can't do that. But then you know, yeah. When I was writing Summit, like I always wrote, they were college aged in Summit because that's what mm-hmm. I was, and and you know, and so it's interesting because about a donkey, we made a film that's that crosses three generations, mm-hmm. and so we had we did a lot of like talking to people that are, you know, older. 
like the parents in that film are in their late fifties and then there's a grandmother character. And so we tried to really get in the headspace of those characters by just talking to people, what it's like to be that age right now, because there were, there's definitely gaps. Yeah. Like the way that you live is not the way certain people live. Like even I'm 29 and I think, you know, I don't know how, what teenagers <laughs> are like. I wouldn't know how to write them. They're horrible. Um, so, yeah. All of them. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. I mean, if I had to, if I had to write teenagers, I, I mean, I would be writing like a, like a '90s anthem. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just like, like, I don't cell phones. What are you talking about? Like, we have yeah. cell phones. Like, that's I wouldn't. I don't know that world of you know. It would be like skateboarding and Nirvana. Like that's yeah, yeah. just like what my <laughs> whole my view of teenagers is. Yeah. That's what it's like to be a teenager. But I did want to kind of ask you about. Um, so producing, like this is something that we are the producers for most of our stuff. And we kind of, we, we generally have this rule where when we crowdfund, we don't ask for more money than we're willing to go into debt for, because if we don't make mm -hmm. the, you know, if we don't make that amount, then what are we going to do? You know? So, um, right. we have a film, a script that I wrote and this will be the, the, the most produced, I guess, thing that we've ever done. And we are looking realistically for a $5,000 budget, which I realize is like craft services for some people. But for us, it's the <laughs> whole budget, you know, and that's a lot. Um, what, how, how does someone on, on a, a super micro budget indie level find a producer? I feel like that's a question that everyone asks, and I don't know if there's one right mm -hmm. answer. So I produce all my own work as well. Uh, because part of it was like no one else is right, going right. To exactly. Um, but I have produced other people's work. I've gotten to that point where I've been doing more of that lately because, but they're mostly people I went to school with who I've been friends with who sort of helped me mm -hmm. out when I was directing and asking them for favors. And now I'm at a point where I can help them get their first or second short off mm -hmm. the ground. Um, I know that that film festivals have been great for that. For me, not so much because I, I guess I, I actually ha I have a producer that I'm talking to now that I am interested in possibly working with for my third feature. And I met her at a film festival. And so I feel like there's that, like, that's something that film festivals are absolutely great for, especially if you go to a festival and you see a film that was shot in the budget realm that you're trying to work in for your next project. So you know that that producer, if that, if the producer is right. there, um, that they can like, they work in that budget. They know how to get stuff done within that but I budget. Think, I think a lot of people uh, fall into the trap of, they think that if they get a producer, that means money. Like the producer is going to bring money right. to them somehow. Yeah, like they just, they call the number and they're like, give us yeah. the money. Okay, yeah. here you go. Hey, producer, can I have five grand? Thanks. You know? <laughs> well, I think part of it is talking to the producers and, and asking them like straight out, what kind of producer are you? A creative producer? Are you an executive producer? I think that finding someone that can find you money is so rare because so often it really is just you know, crowdfunding in particular, it's usually the connections built through the filmmaker, the director, usually, if you do get a producer on board who is going to help you find the money and you're planning to crowdfund, like that can be great because they can help put together a strategy and maybe they're willing to do outreach to their own network for crowdfunding mm -hmm. funds. But I, I don't think that there's any magic producer out there that, um, that just like writes yeah, right. and that sort of their role as producer, which I think is a myth. Yeah, that's absolutely. Like, that's I think a lot of people think that way. Yeah. That's part of why I'm kind of like, well, what? I don't need another producer unless they're going to help me find the money because that's sort of my mm -hmm. gap. Like I can do a lot of the things that I've learned to do and that I do on my own, but what I need maybe is more access to funding. And that's, but that's also, as I said, why I tend to produce my own stuff. 
I, I can tell you from IndieWorks, like part of something I'm really proud of is that people have met at IndieWorks and then they come back a year or two later with a film that they made together. And like one of them is the producer that produced a short that screened that at that same month, you know, two years earlier. And the other was a director or a writer and they met and they decided to collaborate. And so I've seen that happen at our event um, because we really try to set that up. And I've seen it happen in other festivals where you can, you know, find the a producer. They may not be the money producer, but they're a producer. Mm-hmm. And and really the way to do that is to just pay attention. Like when I watch a film and I really liked it and I thought it was really well done from a production standpoint, I pay attention to who has the producer credits. If it was just the writer director, then it's like me where, you know, I'm producing out of necessity. Right. Um, but if it's like, oh, there's a separate producer on this, they want to be a producer probably, you know, let me get in touch with them. Let me try and meet them. If they're at the festival, let me like create a connection that is authentic and could turn into something. Because I think, I think what a lot of, uh, of people that, that are on, on polonized level don't understand is that the producers that, that are actually finding the money and the people that are actually giving the money and investing the money they're not taking they're, people like us. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, but but for a realistic reason, right? Like, okay, so you have a, let's say best case scenario, you have a $10,000 budget, mm-hmm. you know, for a 15-minute short. Right. They're not going to make any money off of that. You know, it, they're, they're right. going for, okay, so you had, a, you know, you at least a, a B-list celebrity in this film. It has a chance of making it into cans. It has a chance, you know, you have some kind of connection. Okay, you know, we'll we'll throw a couple grand at you because this will this could potentially go somewhere. Mm-hmm. But you know, our films are so low budgeted that it's it's an investment. You have to look at it that why would somebody one person just write a five thousand dollar check to us for no good reason? They're yeah. not really going to see anything come back from that, right? I think that you can absolutely, and this is why I love crowdfunding, and it's how I've made all of my bigger projects. Um, in that you can hook someone through the passion that you feel for the story you're telling and the fact that they are a fan of that, whatever it is, like the genre mm-hmm. or the setting, like where you're going to shoot it. They're also from there or, you know, they care about a specific type of representation. And so they want to see that. And so, like, I've had total strangers give me, you know, 500 bucks in a crowdfunding campaign. I had in one of my crowdfunding campaigns, a total stranger gave me $5,000. That has never happened again. Um, but it, but it, it was, was a beautiful moment. But it was, exactly. Get them a Christmas yes, card. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Um, I had a stranger in about the About a Donkey campaign. He wasn't a total stranger. Um, I found out later that he was a friend of a friend, but he gave a thousand dollars and simply because he cares about queer representation and like that was part of my film. And so you can definitely get people to give outside of, I think with shorts in particular, or even just like no budget features, um, you can get people to give outside of the investor, the investor like realm where they're going to get a profit as long as you're sort of transparent about what you're offering them and, and, the successful way to crowdfund is to make sure that you are actually offering. So you're not just like, you know, saying, help us make this help us or like, please help us or, or just asking, but that you're saying like, create something with us, join us, get to see behind the scenes, you know, having exclusive access and, and knowing that you're actually targeting an audience member, someone who truly cares about the end product. Um, But yeah, it can be very hard. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone gives, you know, more than five grand, I maybe, I, I really don't think so, but maybe someone gives 10 grand in a crowdfunding campaign. But for the most part, like it's smaller dollar amounts. Um, 
but they are giving because they like they're fans right. of the mm-hmm. end product. And then if you're doing the investor thing, like that sort of, you just have to have access. It's like, do you know people who can write you a $50,000 check and like, you know, and think that that's a like worth the risk of investing and be also kind of a small amount of money to them because like it is such a risk to invest. And so it is, it's such a world that I feel like I don't have access yeah. to, um, But there is a myth that like, I remember being in school, I was taught in producing that like, how do you get a film made? You find investors. And it's like, well, who are these investors? Who are these mystery investors? As if there's like a room of them. Investors down Um, aisle seven. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I had friends who would like cold call, they'd cold call, you know, doctors and lawyers and try and do the thing that we were taught to do. But fundamentally, it's like, Investing in film is really risky. There's very rarely a return. Right. And people who are probably going to write you a big check are doing so because they know you or like know someone associated with you and they perceive you as like part of their world in yeah. some way. And so I like I think that filmmakers need to really think about like get that gets get outside of that mentality of like needing to be picked and like hoping to get in the right rooms and hoping to be the one that's chosen when really it's like you know, finding the people who care enough about what you're trying to make that they'll chip in a little bit here and there. Cause that's how I've been able to continue moving with my career. Yeah. And I think that like being able to offer stuff, like you said, behind the scenes, cause I've seen a couple crowdfunding things on, on Kickstarter, for instance, that, you know, don't, t- don't say Kickstarter around sorry. here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, um, that it, it's not until maybe the 30 or, or $40 mark that you actually start to get something. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of crazy to me because it's like, as a complete stranger, I'm not giving you $40 for a, for like, um, a, a, one person I'd seen, they said, next time I make a wish, I'll make a wish for you. (laughs) And it was like, really? (laughs) Like I can break my own damn wish. You know what I mean? But you know, I I think fine. If somebody's donating like $5, I can understand like, uh, but even, even at our lowest um, amount when it's, t- I think we usually start at like $10. We always do a special thank you at the end of the film. Like everybody gets a thank you at the end of the film, right. even for $10. I don't care. You know, you still contributed something, especially yeah. if I don't know Absolutely. you, you know, so to wait to yeah. the $50 mark to actually start kind of giving that inside access, a- any kind of, it seems, yeah, really, yeah, it yeah. seems yeah. almost kind of pompous to me, you know, yeah. cause it's like, what do you, why would you because think it's people not like would it just give that anything, to you? You know, especially if, if you're like, it you're, doesn't like, cost to your anything earlier, to say thank you to someone. Well, that too, but to, to her point earlier, about um you know uh, you know behind the scenes stuff I mean, you're doing this stuff anyway right right it's not like right. it's some got additional right. expense that you're incurring for this so yeah. i think the the easier it is for people to be more more involved obviously the more people that will be involved and i think that also makes me Absolutely. feel like you're not willing to take a risk on your film you know what i mean when mm-hmm. you when you when i have to get to the hundred dollar mark to get a poster, then yeah. you're not willing to put them, you know, like we kind of look at it as like, okay, let's say, uh, you know, we haven't even started the the pre-production process for this film bit, but let's say, okay, our, our goal is $5,000. We're going to have to drop some coin to like print out some stickers or some t-shirts and you know, it, it's always a risk. Mm-hmm. We may we may drop $300 on this campaign trying to get $500. Maybe we don't get $5, it and $5,000. But if we do, that was $300 well spent. That was yeah. totally worth the stickers and the t-shirts and all that yeah. stuff. So you have yeah. to be willing to lose the, your own money. You can't, you know, <laughs> expect yeah, people I, to give you stuff. Sure. You know, um, and I, I'm sure you can speak more to this, but I feel like people think that 
you know, well, I need five grand for a film, so I'll just throw it on a Kickstarter or Seed and Spark or uh, in Indiegogo, yeah. and then I'll, I'll get the money. Where it's like that's kind of, to me, and and maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but to me, it seems like those places are just kind of built for you to bring your audience to. They're not really a place for you to necessarily build your audience from. You have to have an audience, You're right? Yeah. This is a place where they can they can come. I mean, I'm sure to some degree there there that happens. You know, people don't just peru- people, people don't yeah, just peruse know, but... you know Kickstarter or or Seed and Spark and like, oh, let me let me you know just random people, other filmmakers. Sure, I think that's another common myth right. there as well. Yeah, there, I mean, it's absolutely a myth of that the sort of if you build it, they will come mentality that like all you have to do is put it up and suddenly you're successful. Um, I think that there was, when it first came out, there were a lot of people failing because of that, because like they thought, oh, I just put it up there and people find it and I make Mm -hmm. my goal. And now we're sort of like seeing maybe a bit of a decline because they're like, oh, it's actually a lot of work. It's like Mm pre-production in and of itself. Um, But it's sort of worth it. Like for me, it's worth it because I, I actually get my thing made and I'm able to, you know, pay people and I'm able to have creative autonomy. Um, But it is, it's a ton of work. The thing is, so I would say on average, 60% of every campaign across all platforms, it comes from your, the goal, like 60% of your goal comes from your Mm -hmm. circle, what maybe not your immediate circle, but like, you know, your parents' friend Mm -hmm. or something. It's like, you know, within two degrees of you. And then it it varies, you know, if you have the other 40% could be like, cast and crew, if they're really helping to push it, or it could be, you know, if you have something very social, like social issue driven, then it's a lot of press and like sort of the way you're able to reach out into the world a little Mm -hmm. bit wider, or it's, or it's through, you know, people spreading the word because it's hitting a very specific like fan base or, or audience. I can tell you that on Seed and Spark, we have a pretty engaged user base of people that contribute to campaigns regularly. Like I've crowdfunded on four times in total, but twice on Seed and Spark. And there have been repeat strangers who have contributed because I know that they always give to LGBTQ inclusive Mm -hmm. projects. Like every single LGBTQ labeled project on the site, they're going to give something to. Um, And so like, there's a little bit of that, but, but generally, yeah, it is, it is the people that you have some sort of association with before you launch the campaign. Um, So you do, you need to have the crowd before you can crowdfund I, that's definitely a misconception is that like you, you somehow build your audience through the campaign itself when really you need to be building and targeting that audience before you go live. Mm -hmm. Um, but but that said, I can tell you that like a crowdfunding campaign will also double your audience, if not more, because momentum excites people and like a clicking, a ticking clock, um, gets people like mm-hmm. hyped because they're Are like, they gonna oh, make there's a limited it? window. <laughs> yeah. And so people like will follow you. I've gotten, you know, my Twitter following always increases when I'm crowdfunding and I always end up with, you know, like an, an extra hundred emails on my email list when I'm crowdfunding. I don't even have a hundred emails that. to send to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so yeah, so it's like I, I've, I've been able to build an audience through crowdfunding, but I have had to have a foundation of people that will get me there, that will be my amplifiers. And also to address something said before, the average contribution for film across all platforms is $25. So I always say that by $25, they should get, they should absolutely get a thank you. They should get to see the thing. It's like, it's the cost of, you know, like renting exactly. it and, or going to see it in a theater. Like at, if, at that point they should get to see it. I can, I can see you maybe okay, for my feature, for instance, it was $25 to get to watch it. And I felt like that was 
on the higher side because they were going to get to watch it before mm-hmm. it hit VOD or anything like that. So it's sort of like early right. access. Um, but I've seen people do it at like a hundred bucks and it's like, that's not yeah. cool. I'm not paying a hundred dollars to watch this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, if, if anyone gave you what's going to happen when it's on VOD for like six ninety nine dollars right. to right. rent, the people who gave you 25 bucks still don't get access to it like that. So I always say to think about that and think about the most common contribution being $25 and it should feel like, you know, if that's what most people are going to give you, then you should make that amount, you know, have the value of the film itself. And then honestly, people who give more than that, they want to, they want to give you 50 bucks. They want to give you a hundred bucks. They want to give you 250 bucks and they're going to do that regardless of what you're offering Mm them. Um, and so I always say to just like find creative things that aren't, that don't feel like you're alienating the people that have given you right. less because yeah, offering behind the scenes access like is really, is a really good tool to keep people engaged and you don't want to only be giving that to, you know, 5% of people who contributed. Yeah. Uh, and so I always think of like, for instance, I think at, I, I think at $250 for my last campaign, I offered to volunteer at um, like a nonprofit or charity of the person, like for mm-hmm. a day for, of the person's choosing. And it's like, that was something that most people, <laughs> I don't even think anyone who gave $250 even took right. me up on that. I don't think anyone did it, but it was like, it was like a, a cute mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. I was offering to do that made their like extra money feel worth it mm-hmm. for them. And it didn't keep anything exclusive about the film that the like lower paying people wouldn't mm-hmm. get, you know? Um, so I think that's, the kind of stuff that you want to think about, like how can you utilize, you definitely want to utilize stuff that you're already paying for because there's definitely a bad habit in crowdfunding where you offer a lot of swag type stuff and you end up spending more yeah. on that than you, yeah. than you make. And so I always caution people like not to even, if you, if you find your audience really would dig t-shirts then like sure budget for them. But you know, posters, for instance, most people don't want a poster. Most people don't put posters on their yeah. walls. It's so, it's so, so it's digital like, now. Right. And so it's like, is that worth your money? You should talk to your audience before you decide on what you're going to offer in a crowdfunding yeah, campaign. Yeah, you can campaign. end up paying for 50 posters and nobody yeah, wants well, one. The, the, the example that I made was that yes. that this this person was like, by the time you got a t-shirt, you would have paid like $100 for that t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and you still right. didn't get to watch the film. So it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. what am I paying for here? You know, yeah. but if you, if you right. have the means to you know, have little extras or whatever. Cause yeah, like you, you don't ship out a DVD anymore. You would, you know, give them a Vimeo passcode or whatever that they would have, you know, and, and all of that. So it's more of, you know, like giving a shout out on, on your Twitter or your Instagram, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hashtag you for a week or whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. business you have or whatever it may be. And, you know, of course, look, it's, I would always, I would love for somebody to just say, oh, here's the five grand you need it. There you go. But it's kind of awesome when you, even if, you know, whether it's $10 or $100, when somebody you don't know gives you money, that's always us. We're like, do you know this person? Do you know this person? I have no idea who this person is. Oh my God, somebody we don't know gave us (laughs) $25. That's crazy, you know? Um, And that's, that makes you, it's it's less about the cash in, right? Because when somebody has a lot of money or they have the money to spend and they say, you know what, I'm going to give you this $5,000, you know that they're hoping to just get that $5,000 back. That's like best case scenario. All right, you'll make some money. Mm-hmm. But when somebody's donating on a on a crowdfunding page, they're not getting anything back from that. You know, there's yeah. there's no there's no uh, there's yeah. no well, um, financial gain for them. You know, right, they're not. Right. You know, they they get to watch your film, but they're in it because they actually want to see your film. 
And they want to see you exactly, succeed. Yeah. It's not just like, okay, that's nice. Did you finish your film? Where's my money? Right. <laughs> right. Right. I think, you know, that's something people who maybe have crowdfunded once before or who are afraid to try it, something they'll say is like, it's just so much work and you're just, you know, you're knocking on so many metaphorical mm-hmm. doors to get $5 here and $5 there. But I find it, it is absolutely a lot of work and it is exhausting and it, it it's stressful, but it's also just so lovely when, as you said, like a stranger gave you 20 bucks and it's like, I'm not alone in this story mm-hmm. anymore. You know, when you're, when you're writing and even when you're in pre-production, you can feel very alone and like even questioning whether or not there's value in what you're wanting to make um, and crowdfunding and audience targeting and like building the audience before something even exists gives you that kind of validation and gives you like makes you feel like what you're doing really matters beyond just your own desire to make it um and that is that can be really rewarding in and of itself and so like even now I'm you know shooting a short next weekend and I've like talked about it a little bit like I announced the cast and and you know I've like dowled little details here and there but it's still no one really knows what it is no one's anticipating mm-hmm. it when you crowdfund people are like excited about it before it's right. made. And then you have an, you have an audience of people that are engaged through the entire process. Like, you know, when we were in pre in production for about a donkey, I would send updates after every weekend shoot and, you know, have behind the scenes photos and people would respond to those updates and say that they were so excited to see behind the scenes and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's cool because you have, it's like you're building a community around the making yeah. of it. And that's really yeah, exciting. People like me, I love, I love behind the scenes stuff. I just love it. love watching that stuff. I love yeah, it. Um, uh, we're going to let you go soon because we've taken up a lot of your time, but I just have one question about Seed and Spark specifically. I had to ask sure. that. Um, so full disclosure, we you have used Kickstarter in the past. I haven't signed up for it yet, but I'm interested in it. And I wanted to, I had read something, and I who better to ask if this is true than you, is um, when we start a crowdfunding campaign, a lot of people that are donating to us is my aunt or my brother or whoever it is. And so Kickstarter makes it easy for anyone to go on and just pay for it. And then there. Now, is right. that the same with Seed and Spark as well? Because I had read that it was a bit more of a process. It is the same. Um, as of the last nine months, we have guest checkout. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. Prior to that, you had to create an account um, or you had to like link it to your social media. But now we do have guests check out. Because I, I heard um, and, I heard Emily on the Indie Film Hustle or something, I think it was. Mm-hmm, and she yeah. was talking about it. And I was just like, this is great, you know, because Kickstarter for me is like, it's just so noisy, right? It's just so yeah. crowded and noisy. And it's just like, you know, it's a name. Everybody knows it. Sure. But it's just. To me, it's like Facebook, you know, there's just so much noise everywhere. And to have Seed and Spark and to have sure. something that's just just about filmmakers where you can like donate money or donate maybe your services or whatever. I just, I love that. I love that whole concept and I love the whole idea and, and I love that that is happening. So, um, thanks. Yeah. I, but that, that was so my, you know, that was my one thing. Like, I was like, I don't know if that's true. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to ask her. <laughs> No, yeah, it's true. You can, so people don't have to go through a lengthy process. They can just put in their credit card information and check out. I will say, you know, I crowdfunded twice on Kickstarter successfully. I had a positive experience, but when I met Emily Bass, the CEO of Seed and Spark in 2013, um, I, I just loved that it was a platform by filmmakers for filmmakers and that there were all these like 
benefits to being part of that community. And so I switched for my third crowdfunding campaign and I had a positive experience. Um, and so I became an advocate for the company and then I joined the team in 2016. Um, and so like, I do truly believe it is the best platform for filmmakers. I think that, you know, if you're doing, if you're kind of a mixed medium artist where you work in different fields, not just film, then maybe another platform is better for you. But Seed and Spark is great because yeah, like you, you can, the thing that I really loved is the loan feature, like being able to get loans, you know, of gear or, um, locations or props. I've had people loan me their like car through a crowdfunding oh, wow. campaign, you know, for the dates that I needed. And it goes towards the, what would have been a rental value mm-hmm. for that call for that car. I've had people donate food through the, through the campaign. Yeah, and that's so a little sketchy. That's like a really, no, it's, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, it's through like yeah, caterers. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, I yeah, not like someone coming um, out of yeah. the basement. Bringing over you. Here's my grilled <laughs> cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, there's a way for you to do community outreach and get support beyond just cash, which as a filmmaker, I love because like, it can be very costly giving to your friends campaigns right. all the time. And so I can like loan you my gear and like, doesn't cost me anything as long as I don't need it that weekend. Then, you know, you get what you need for your shoot and like get closer to your goal and I don't lose any money. Um, and so that's like a really cool thing. And then also we, partner with other entities to offer like discounts to post-production services and consultations. Like there's really cool stuff. If you check out the filmmaker rewards page. Um, and also if you're doing anything that's relevant to like our rallies that we do every quarter, like we just close submissions for our hometown heroes rally, which is with the Duplass mm. brothers. Um, they're essentially contests that exist within crowdfunding where people crowdfund at the same time for 30 days and it's around some sort of theme. So in the case of that rally, it's features shot in a filmmaker's hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's no loser. Cause if you make your goal and you like are able to accomplish what you set out to accomplish, then you're, yeah. then it's great. Mm-hmm. But there's also this like potential grand prize that you right. can win, which in that case is $50,000 in executive producership from the Duplass. Right. Brothers. And if you I lose, make, like, if you four lose, films with that. if you lose, you're still making your film. <laughs> so it's not really like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, because we really push filmmakers to like make sure that their goal can accomplish something that they're promising right. their audience. So, you know, you have that accountability built in. Um, and so it's like, it's really cool. We try to offer bigger opportunities for filmmakers while still encouraging them to just like do it, you know, just do it on their own and get it done. Um, and so honestly, like, obviously if you use Kickstarter, like I'd, you know, be happy to support, but if you, if you choose student spark, like I think that it would be really great for you. Oh yeah. I mean, you don't have to uh, sell me anymore. I mean, for me, <laughs> I, uh, I love the, you know, I love the community. I love community aspect about anything, you know, my day job, you know, what I do for that has a great community and I, I just love the whole aspect. And I feel like seed and spark really kind of fits that for me more so than like a Kickstarter Indiegogo or something. That's just the machine, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why I switched because it is, it is all film. Like it's all people that care about film, whether they're filmmakers or fans, but sort of that's the entire community of the site. Um, yeah. And Kickstarter, it's like tech, yeah. you know, yeah. that's it's like I can they, donate to this guy who's building a flying car or your film. Well, there goes our kick, right. our Kickstarter sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, right. It's fine. You know what? We'll be okay. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for being on. I really, really appreciate yeah, your time. Thank you so much. Just taking a lot of your time, and I really appreciate it. Um, you can let your cat back in. <laughs> yeah. So let everybody know where they can um, find you and follow you and keep up to date with you and all that sort of stuff. And they can stalk you like I do. Sure. So if you go to ChristinaRaya.com, you'll see links to all of my social media handles. I'm at CRaya9. And also CongestedCat.com is my production company where you can also find out about IndieWorks. Awesome. awesome. Well, we will definitely be following up with you. And as you have projects that, that come through, let us know. So yeah, please. If you have anything you want to, yeah. If, or if you want to, if you finish something, you want to come on again, or if you're getting ready for something and you want to come on, we're more than happy to have you because we love talking with you, honestly. Thank you. I really appreciate yep. it. I love talking <laughs> with you as well. Great. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, I don't know. Hopefully we'll actually meet up at some point. We're not far from one another. I know. Seriously. <laughs> like yes. an hour away. <laughs> yeah. All right, Christina, thank you so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was informative. Yeah. Some of it was kind of upsetting. Yeah. Disappointing, I should say. Very disappointing. Yeah, not upsetting, but. Film fests. Damn it. Yeah, love, hate them. So um, thank you all for listening. Let's do some shout outs, shall we? Shout out to, uh, who should we go first? Steady Geekin. Mm-hmm. Because those guys are awesome. Check those guys out, Steady Geekin. Um, shout out to Reality Bomb Comicast yep. and all the folks over over there in uh, Mega Brain Comic Shop in uh, right. Rhinebeck, New York. And uh, we're going to be at NAB in October, October 17th, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think so. It's the Wednesday. We'll be there. So the if you're Wednesday. there, the Wednesday. If you're going to be there, check us out. We'll be the idiots in the Go Gorilla shirts um, running around with microphones bothering people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So check that out. And um, I think that's all I have to say. Is that all you have to say? Yeah. Well, you can follow us, but if you hear this, you probably ha- you probably do. At Go Gorilla Film on Twitter and Instagram and at gmail.com and all Go that Gorilla fun stuff. Film. Go Gorilla Film. Yeah. yeah. At Go Gorilla Film. Yeah. 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 So that's that's that. That's true. Yeah. I concur. All right. Uh, so we'll, uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Next week. Bye. Bye. We couldn't decide on a song. We love We couldn't decide on a song. We Came up with this one